We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Crassus Agonicus. <sighs> when it comes to hill to hills, every forward by the translator by someone who, who's a fan of her or a scholar is just so fascinating they describe this short story as literary work dressed up as a pot boiler right the idea that that hills was rejecting the the literary aspect of her life in order to write a bestseller you know kind of like the the 50 shades of gray for brazil at the time so the way i came across this is i've been really interested in how art conveys information to us and this has been primarily a channel about words coming across in a text right and i came across you know krasna horkai i've come across a couple of other writers who use visual medium or even uh, in chasing homer here you know on top of the art they also provide an accompanying CD to listen to as you read the book. So it got me thinking what other short stories out there have approached this and Hilda Hill's name came up. Huge fan of her. We've read both With My Dog Eyes as well as The Obscene Madame D, her magnum opus. So, whoa, yeah, we're doing this short story. All of these critics talk about her obscenity and I'm still trying to explore what that means. What was she conveying and how do I interpret it as a reader? And holy crap. <laughs> This short story, um, okay, this is a channel where we don't swear. We don't like to show vulgar things, and I'm not going to show them, but we're going to talk about them. So here's your warning now that if you blush easily, if you're used to us not talking about genitals, <laughs> this ain't the talk for you. Because in the opening, I, I'm looking at this, oh, there's a pretty flower, and then you flip the page, and oh my gosh, is that a monkey giving fellatio to that man? <laughs> And then you look a little bit closer at like the, the, the flower and you're like, wait, that's not the usual state. That's a vagina in the middle. I'm having textual intercourse with this image out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, talk about lady flower power. <laughs> but Cresso, our narrator in all seriousness, he's a guy that we're going to follow some sexual exploits with throughout this story. And we meet Clodia, his visibly insane girl. I don't even know how one becomes visibly insane. That's kind of interesting. But she does paint vaginas for a living. Just whoop, vaginal, vaginal painting here and there. And there's a, a guy named Hans Heckel who kind of uh, names them <laughs> all after Kitty, you know, but I'm assuming that the word uh, pussy must translate somehow in Portuguese as well. I don't know. But it's a combination that nothing is 
off the off the table, right? When it comes to Hilst, like everything is up for discussion. And there's obviously a lot of talk about beginnings here in terms of the vaginal fruit, putting pears next to it, uh, giving life the beginning, you know, is it coming from nothing? Is it coming from something? It's, it's, it's all part of the discussion here from a literary angle perspective. And when she starts painting the, the Crassus in his penis, and he's like, you can't draw my penis flaccid. It'll just look like a dead gray worm. <laughs> And Hans comes over. He's like, oh, are you painting a worm? Like, <laughs> It's a genuinely funny little story. But there's also a lot of meaning here in terms of, you know, the joke about Crasso's phallus agonicus. I'm assuming phallus translates to phallus as it does in English. And agonicus must mean agony, I think, if not gone, something along those lines. But you get you get the idea it's a play on words, right? And Crassus, of course, is one of the old rulers of, of Roman history. But... When you even look at Haeckel's name, Haeckel's name, I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's obviously a reference to the German Haeckel, a zoologist who literally had a lot of uh, paintings and, and images, illustrations of animals that he classified and, and, and had illustrations of, right? Just like the story has illustrations of things. But Hans is a writer. You know, everybody's creating something in the story in the same way that this is kind of a story about creation and such. And Crasso kind of like humors him. He says, like, why, why write about good stuff? This is the devil's world. You should write about pornography and things that sell to the point that the translators talk about in the beginning, right? This is a good question of if, if human beings are really good, why is it we're so obsessed with tragedy? Why does the news know that they're 10 times more likely to get eyeballs when they talk about fear and things that scare people? And uh, it's just such an interesting quote to talk about the devil's world and why do we create art or uh, kind of like exalt morality so much when it's such a rare thing and things that people don't seem to really be interested in. And we go into Hans's story right there where we see how pornographic his writing is, how alone his characters feel in the discovery of the obscene, the things that we hide away deep inside. And, and one of the things that, that they talked about with, with her paintings of the vaginas and the inspiration of the Sistine Chapel, right? Like God's finger touching right? The beginning of touch, the beginning of the world from nothing comes something from a biblical standpoint and how that was the inspiration, the creation of her creative endeavors. And we return from the story to Claudia, who's now given up painting the vaginas and is now painting the cocks. Like she, she moves from, from vagina to cock. And now that's what she draws. And it's compared to the man that discovered like the T-Rex things in the same way that Haeckel was an archaeologist that discovered and classified things. We have a reference to now the man that kind of classified and discovered the T-Rex. It says, I've now discovered my true life's calling. <laughs> it's humorous and it is a pot boiler, but there are absolutely really interesting literary points behind the scenes here. And if you don't believe me, it's like when Rubito comes over and he's like, well, can I join in on this threesome? Uh, again, if you know about uh, Crassus and his meaning, he was one of the three, uh, the original first triumvirate of the three leaders of Rome, in a sense. And you have kind of like that rule of three in the creation and such in the story. And then Crassus goes to uh, another area to to Hans's mother's house, right? So he commits, Hans commits suicide. So we're going to go check out his his lost writings because they're stored at his mom's house, right? That's what writers do is they live with their moms. <laughs> but it is the trope of exile, right? Like, like is... Hilst kind of like poking fun at the going into exile, the travel to discover yourself, Hakuna Matata type journey here, right? But we have these just crazy explorations about Hans's writings, right? Like he had one story about Lazarus coming back to life, this, this whole thing about immaterialism that Hilst seems to explore. And 
all of a sudden we have the dream sequence where we're going back and imagining being Lazarus, coming back from life, in the same way that we're mirroring what happened earlier with Hans's story. This is why Hilst is a genius. Because <laughs> Haeckel, if you didn't know, had this recapitulation. Theory. Is it recapitulation? I think it's recapitulation. I'd have to look it up. But it's it's not really believed today or disproved in a sense where when, when you're growing like humans from a fetus, uh, birds in an in a, in a embryo egg, that we go through and kind of look like past iterations of our past. Like we grow through all of our previous generations of, of how we evolved today. Cause he was a guy that pushed Charles Darwin in Germany, uh, all part of like that evolutionary theory thing. And we see the character start to go through recapitulation theory themselves with kind of like experiencing the past things that even happened in the story several times with like that, that touch of the Sistine Chapel, creating something from nothing, uh, the worm and that sort of thing, kind of looking like the finger of God. And by the end of the story, you have all these things about, um, about nothingness and the end. And when I say nothingness in the end, I mean the capital N and the capital E. Like literally grammar, it's one of those things that Hill takes a close look at where when characters start talking at the beginning of a paragraph break, like that's lowercase for some reason. And grammar is something obviously that they looked at closely. But when they talk about the nothingness in the end, at the end here, those are capitalized in the middle of a sentence, right? Thinking about the eternal end or the eternal nothingness, almost kind of like the return to nothingness, nihilism, the blackness to dark. At first there was nothing but dark and then came light, according to the creation theory of God, right? Oh, well, there we are challenging evolution again. What a, mm, Hilst, you're a really good writer. So at the end, we end up on, you know, there's talks of tons of penis in this. And then the penis at the end is a black penis. And we talk about blackness coming and taking over again. And we see that recapitulation theory. We see the creation story from nothing came light, that they're creating this circle of creation and destruction throughout the whole story. And then not to rip down totally my own argument, but there are parts where like the grammar doesn't follow the rules that I thought it normally would. So it was very confusing, but also very engaging trying to figure things out sometimes about like, well, she's obviously being mindful of these choices and was there intent here? And it was kind of interesting of how much is maybe lost in translation. I don't know, but that's the joy of translation. And we kind of end up on this quote, you know, I'm wondering what does it mean to, to die, be born again, to come from nothing, or is it a circular loop, that sort of thing. We have this quote, to be Brazilian is to be no one to be destitute and grotesque before oneself and the world. And this is the point in time in the story where the mother sings for the first time, right? To, to come from nothing, to have nothing. Uh, do we believe that this is an opportunity for growth? Do we believe this is the opportunity for new beginnings? Because they talk about what is seen is undone. And that's an interesting comment, right? Because to create these paintings, to create these stories, you have to have a blank slate. You have to have an empty page or an empty canvas and when you create something, you're undoing the current status. You're undoing the nothingness. By creating, you are destroying. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to, to end the story, in a sense. And at the end, we create the new relationship with the other girl, right? Again, a triumvirate, the rule of three coming back to the Crassus, the main character's name. So a lot of just really interesting literary elements here with what is ultimately a story about a woman drawing penises and vaginas. <laughs> And a man going and discovering this this Hans Heckel's crazy over of very sexual stories. <laughs> uh, 
I, I, I'm not going to show the images because I can't because I'd have to. Well, maybe I will. I'll just blur the crap out of them because it was really interesting just seeing the depiction here. And I don't want to like downplay the artist, right? Like there was clearly a design with artist and illustrator here. So I will put some up on it. Just maybe <laughs> you won't get much out of it because I have to blur out so much of what this, the, the drawings were. But this was just a crazy story. I can't write it. I can't. I can't right? It, it, it has so many different ways that it pulls your heart in terms of just the pot boiler versus the literary aspect side of things. Hilst is, man, she's a trip. I, I just, you know, Obscene Madame D was like a five out of five read uh, with my dog. I don't know what it was. It was kind of like only an average read, but I saw the genius in it. This one was like all over the place that I just, I don't even know how to rate Hilst anymore. And I don't even know if numbers like, like a football score are really the way to articulate a reaction to a literary construction like this. I really do believe that. I get the value of numbers trying to explain your enjoyment level, but literature and life aren't football scores. These are works that are meant to move us, change us, and maybe even clarify the world in a way that we perhaps weren't seeing. So is this a story that could do that for you? Possibly. If you can get over the blushing and the craziness of it, I hope it did. And now, if you did read this, let me know your thoughts down below. What other Hilst works should I read? I've got uh, letters from a seducer kind of planned to come out maybe sometime soon. We'll see. Let us know in the comments down below what you'd love to see us cover next. My name is Benuna. Peace out.